0: Welcome to the Richardson Seventh-day Adventist podcast. I'm so excited for you to join us. Each week, we'll bring you a sermon from one of our ongoing series. This week, we continue with the second sermon that's part of our amazing series called Game Changer. It's a term that you often hear associated with sports, but it really applies to everything or anything. So enjoy, and let's get to it. God, what a privilege it is to be here, to be able to witness the talents that you have given our peers and those among us. And God, what a privilege to be able to come to your throne boldly in the name of Jesus and be able to ask for things that you already know we need. So God, we come today not wanting to just seek other people, but wanting to not even seek just the blessings you give, but God, we want to seek your face. We want to know you intimately. This is my prayer today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. It was a cool October day in the frozen tundra of Michigan. (laughs) I could not do anything that I wanted to do that day. I was restricted from being able to do any day-to-day tasks. It was the day I lost my wallet. Stephanie, my wife and I, or my wife Stephanie, that's important to say, my wife Stephanie, not Stephanie, my wife. My wife Stephanie and I started looking everywhere for this wallet. We upended uh, our chairs, our rugs, we dug everywhere, we looked in the couch, we found old remotes, we found moldy half-eaten cookies, which is embarrassing. And we also found a set of keys, all sorts of random things, but not my wallet. And I remember I was praying throughout this and it was deeply frustrating that God could bring a man back to life. He could part a sea, yet my wallet remained lost. It it didn't make sense. I was deeply frustrated. And I remember I was arguing with God for days and it just seemed so petty, like something he could just handle so easily. And then I came to this point where I I just didn't have any fight left in me anymore. And I was like, God, this seems very silly, but have your name be glorified somehow in this search. And that night, I gave up. I did not find my wallet. So I went through all of the necessary things that you have to do whenever you lose a wallet. I got new IDs, new credit cards. Um, you know, I lost my punch cards for my favorite restaurants. It was deeply depressing. <laughs> so uh, as I was going through this, it was it was irritating because I had to stagger my debit and credit cards to make sure that I was able to buy things in the midst of not having uh, cards, you know, having uh, to be able to buy things online. So, as I was doing this, my Andrews University ID took $30 to replace, which is insane, by the way, $30! That is highway robbery. (laughs) And my state ID license, my driver's license, only cost $10. So who's frustrated, though? I don't know. But let's, let's move on. So uh, that Friday night, or that Friday afternoon, as Stephanie and I were doing our deep cleaning of the house, you know, the, the pre Sabbath cleanup, um, we, we looked everywhere again one last time. And uh, guess what we found? Another moldy cookie. No, I'm just kidding. We found my wallet. <laughs> It smelled very clean, it was nice and sparkly, and it smelled of dryer sheets. It was definitely in the dryer for 10 days. You may judge me for that. I totally deserve it. I did not clean out the dryer for 10 days. So I found it there, and everything was ruined. But at least it was clean, and at least we had $25 we were able to salvage. And uh, so we found that, and it was, it was a very strange experience. But then the next day, uh, for Sabbath, a friend of ours was... Um, speaking at a nearby church, and we wanted to go support him. So we went over there, and he did a great job, and we were talking with him and his wife at Potluck, and we were talking about these amazing new things called uh, tile. Have you guys heard of tiles? Like, not like on the flooring, like as in the things that you can track your lost stuff with. So I'm going to demonstrate a tile. What it is, is essentially it's a Bluetooth device. You can see I have one in my wallet. (laughs) Very intentional here. Um, it's a Bluetooth device that if I lose it, I can ring it from my phone, and it also goes back. I can ring my phone from my wallet. So, of course, it wouldn't work. There we go, first try. <laughs> so, so we were talking about this, and uh, we were telling um, our friends about these tiles, and our friend was like, "Man, I really wish I had these on our lost keys that we lost a few months ago." because we have been without a house key. We've been leaving our house unlocked for two months because we were unable to do anything because we lost our keys. And then the light bulb went off in not my head, I have to clarify, it was not me that had this bright idea. But Stephanie realized maybe these random keys we found in our couch were our friend's keys. Huh. So, we talked to them about it, and we're like, hey, can you describe these keys? Because we don't want you to get some random person's keys. We want to make sure these are yours. They described them perfectly. So we're like, okay, this is weird. So we finished our Adventist standard MRE haystacks. We polished them off, and we went to our house to go find the keys. We handed my friend, or our friend the keys, and he just kind of stared at me. Like, he didn't believe this was real. He held them, just looked at them, he turned to his wife and was like, are these our keys? She laughed and was like, yes, those are our keys. And he looked at me and he's like, dude, I'm so glad you lost your wallet. <laughs> and I was like, that makes one of us. <laughs> so it was, it was not a good situation for me. It was not a good situation for Stephanie because she had to deal with me. But God is in the business of bringing good things out of bad situations the game-changer is excellent at what he does this brings me to the powerful parable that we're going to dive into today it's found in matthew chapter 13 it starts in verse 1 let's read together that same day so i said we were going to read together but i'm actually going to stop here because this is very interesting. That same day, why would Matthew include that same day as he's about to introduce the parable that Jesus is about to talk about? So I was very curious, and I was like, well, what else happened that same day? Well, that same day, Jesus broke the Sabbath. He healed the broken. He cited scripture about himself. He cast out demons. He described the Holy Spirit's importance. He predicted his own death and resurrection. So you probably heard that whole list and you see it, but I bet you stopped on one, broke the Sabbath. What do I mean when I say that Jesus broke the Sabbath? Well, from the religious majority's perspective, Jesus had indeed broken the rules of the Sabbath. But let's look deeper. He saw that Sabbath had become a burden, a day of fear that an action may be taken to break it, a day of strict adherence. He saw that this was a day that many wanted to just be over with so they could go back to enjoying life. It was a boxed-in chunk of time that people just did not enjoy. It was that semblance of Sabbath that Jesus decimated. I think of it kind of like, like this pool here. You know, we see, we see this beautiful pool, and you're like, wow, that's nice. But when there's a fence around it, you're not able to enjoy it. So the pool itself is not what Jesus destroyed. It was the fence around it that was pre- preventing people to be able to enjoy it fully. Who better to change the game than the one who made the game? Sabbath was created by Jesus for us to be a time of joy a time of justice, a time of fulfillment, a time of relationship. Sabbath was created by Jesus himself during creation to be a date day with him. But as you probably know, this parable isn't about Sabbath, so why am I telling you all of this? Like the title said, so what? Well, it's in the context of Sabbath that Jesus delivers these parables in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew is cluing in the reader that big stuff happens on Sabbath. Jesus loved breaking paradigms on the Sabbath day. So the close reader would know Jesus is about to do something big. So we should treat this parable with those kind of eyes. We should look for something big that Jesus is about to do. Let's continue. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky soil, rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they were withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. As we go into this, I want you to ponder this question. What kind of soil did the sower aim for? Well, let's take stock. We have along the path, which the birds devoured. We have along the rocky soil, which was scorched and then withered. We have along the thorny path, or the thorny patch, where it grew and then was choked. And then we have the good soil, which produced more than what's normal. So as I was looking into this, I I noticed the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold that Jesus mentioned. And I was curious, what is a good return on investment for today's investments? And if you compare... Um, Jesus' numbers here, it's uh, 30 times versus .15, 15 percent is considered a good return for today's standard. So if I invest a dollar, and I get a good return, I'll get 15 cents back, or .15 dollars. However, using Jesus' metric of return on investment, I can invest one dollar, and this is the lowest that he said, granted there was 30, 60, 100 on the lowest return on investment that Jesus says, we will get $30 from investing $1. That's 200 times better than what is considered a really good return on investment today. Notice, when we're looking at the soils, that there is no fifth soil. There is no, all right, good soil, something grew up, and then I'm just minding my own business. There is good soil that gives blessing and multiplies, and there is bad soil that produces nothing. I'm not sure how you're feeling as you're, you're hearing about this parable. I know when I usually read it or hear about it, I'm like, well, I'm the good soil. All right, next lesson, please. But maybe you heard the, ter- the sermon title pun, and you saw so what, and you were like, oh, this is going to be lame. I just can't wait for the veggie burgers. They're coming. <laughs> but bear with me. Check it out. Three out of the four soils did grow Something but only one of those three actually were beneficial. If the blessings God is pouring out on me aren't being poured out to others, then maybe my soil is much thornier or much rockier than I first thought. There really are only two soils, good and not good. You know, at first glance, the sower is being 100% ridiculous. I have next to no experience in farming, except for the occasional farming video game because I prefer air conditioning and I'm not good at farming. But (laughs) even with my extremely limited knowledge, I understand that when you plant something, you want to do your very best to make sure it grows well. You want to till the soil, you want to add fertilizer, and then you add the seed. But in this parable, this sower is so flippantly tossing seed, I feel like he sees dirt and he's like, that needs seed, that needs seed, that needs seed. And it's so crazy, the amount of soil that he hits, that it's almost like it could be intentional. I'm going to play a part of a song for you. It's called Beautiful Things, and it's by a band called Gunger. And as you listen to this song, I want you to imagine the four different soils that the sower intentionally threw seed into. I stopped the song there intentionally. Could a garden ever come up from this ground at all? This question resonates with me so deeply. As I was thinking earlier about, you know, there's only two soils, I often wonder, am I not good soil? Maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you have some terrible, horrible things you've experienced or some terrible, horrible things you've done. Even your neighbor doesn't know about it. But please hear me. Please hear me when I say that the grossest, nastiest stuff is the best fertilizer. God is in the business of bringing good things out of bad things. So I ask the question again, what kind of soil did the sower aim for? It seems to me that the answer is all of the soil, not just the good soil. If the sower wanted to make beautiful things, wouldn't he just plant the soil in the uh, plant the seed in the good soil, though? What's happening here? Let's read an additional verse, perhaps that will add some clarity. John chapter 15, verse 5. It reads, and this is Jesus speaking: I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Hmm. Chewing on that, let's look back at the parable. I generally read the parable, and I assume that Jesus is the sower, and the seed is the good, good news. But what if God is co-working with himself in a way that the Father is actually sowing Jesus? into the seed. If that's the case, then it has nothing to do with what the soil did to deserve something to grow. If what John 15, 5 says is true, then there are just two parts to bearing fruit, Jesus abiding in us and us abiding in Jesus. So applying this to our parable, the seed represents Jesus intentionally abiding in each soil, regardless of its worthiness or goodness. Jesus loves and cares for each and every, and I mean every person. However, the only way to bear fruit, a.k.a. be a blessing to those around you and represent God's character accurately, is to abide back into Jesus Look, Jesus is already abiding in us. It's stacked in our favor. Half Half of the equation is already done. All we have to do is abide back into Jesus. But what in the world do I mean about a soil abiding back into a seed? Well, abiding is not a once a week affair. What kind of soil would only support its seed once a week? If I was a farmer, and the soil just started moving away from the seed after I planted the seed, I would get rid of that soil and put something else. It would not be beneficial for growth. Abiding is a lifestyle. It's something that's every hour, every second. Let's look at this cascading list of people in the Bible that would be deemed as good soil. And you know some of these stories. You know the ridiculousness that a lot of these people intentionally chose, but they were good soil. God used them to bring about blessings to everyone around them. Notice there's literally the king of Babylon. This is not someone we would expect to be good soil, but God is in the business of bringing good out of the bad. Let's not underestimate our Savior. In the original language, the word abide also means residing, remaining, and staying. So, can I step on some toes here? Including my own? I don't know. So, with this understanding, we should not be confused if we do not bear fruit. How can we say we abide in Christ if we only talk to Him once a week? Abiding in God is 100% relational. The worst place we can be in a relationship is to know a lot about somebody, but not know them. We don't want a George Washington relationship with Jesus. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Look, I can tell you a lot of details about him. I can show you pictures of him. I can tell all the accolades he's done. I can say all the things he's written. I can say how his influence carries through to today. But make no mistake, I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. We may say we abide in God, but it's entirely possible that we don't even have a relationship with him stronger than we do with a dead president. So what do we do? Abiding isn't some strange, ritualistic thing that we do suddenly to be close to God. He has already drawn close to us. He has already gotten his hands dirty for you. You don't need to worry if your soil is good enough for Jesus. I mean, just think of that list from earlier. David literally saw a woman bathing and was like, that's mine. That doesn't sound like good soil to me. But Jesus saw his heart and grew something beautiful. John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Again, abiding isn't some weird thing. I bet you do it every day. You might abide in your church friends, your family, your school friends or work friends. It's simple and you know how to do it. It's spending time, it's laughing, it's communicating, it's loving and living life, again, abiding back into Jesus, it's a lifestyle. So then let's treat God the same way he treats us. Let's love back up on him every single day. Paul talks about praying without ceasing. Well, you know what I interpret that as? I think that this even includes conversations like, wow, God, this veggie burger is so good. I think (laughs) God cares about the little stuff. I think God made the little stuff. So let's talk about everything to our friend. If he abides intentionally in every type of soil, regardless of its worth, then so will I. He loves us already, so it makes our job that much easier. Looking into the imagery of uh, what's happening here in the parable with the wheat, I found some surprisingly neat stuff about wheat. I did not know it was so fascinating. (laughs) Apparently, one grain of wheat can produce eight or more heads, and each of those heads can contain up to 40 seeds. So, with one grain of wheat planted and it grows like it should, it will produce 320 other wheat plants. And so if we take that and it happens again, if those 320 produce in the same way that the first one did, 320 times 320 is 102,400, all from that one seed that bore fruit. This is the kind of multiplication that Jesus is calling us to do. You know, after one successful harvest, Uh, 320 plants, would, or wheat plants, would grow from that one seed. And if it did not multiply, if you were a farmer, wouldn't that be disappointing to just have that season's harvest? When you know that what should happen is that it should grow and not only supply just that 320, but also provide 320 times more. And it would be surplus and surplus, and this growth is what will happen. Not maybe happen, but will happen when we abide back into Jesus. Let's read it again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that might. Is it might? Will you maybe bear fruit? This is a promise. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This kind of thinking is what Jesus wants us to carry forward today. The way we minister to others should mirror that of the sower who aimed for every kind of soil. And let me be abundantly clear here. By choicefully withholding Jesus from people because of physical, cultural, or ideological differences, we are going against God's example. Flash judgments are the enemy of the gospel. Jesus shared himself to all soils and all people. So should we. And look, I get it. You know that you don't get to change the makeup of your soil. However, good soil can be found in the strangest places. There is nothing in this parable that says all of the good soil was in one place. All of the thorny was over there. The path was over there. And then you have the rocky soil over here. No, the implication is that they're together, that they're intertwined. So you may have a family that has a very thorny background. But quite simply, if you abide back into Jesus, your soil is now good. I hope you're starting to see the beauty that is just so, that is dripping from this parable. Jesus changes the game by breaking away from what is right in conventional wisdom, of only going for the good soil so that he can reach me, so that he can reach you, 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 and you. No soil has ever been intrinsically good enough. It's a work of grace that any soil ever received a seed for growth. Some of us may not appear to be fertile soil to the average onlooker, but God knows the heart. He knows that even in the midst of the thorny patch, even in the midst of the path, in the midst of the rocks, There can be good soil. Don't be discouraged by the things you've gone through. Don't be discouraged by your background. God is in the business of bringing good things out of bad things. The game has been changed. He went out of his way in the most painful experience so that we will have the choice Just the choice. He had no guarantee. The choice of us abiding back into him. He knew the risk, and he took it. We left off the song earlier with a cliffhanger. Let's see how it continues. You make beautiful. Out of chaos, life is being found in you. Oh, that just tugs on my heartstrings. He went out of his way. Oh, I already... The entire parable is a template on how we should treat others. The parable of the sower is an example for how we treat those around us. God didn't discriminate on which soil looked the best, which deserved the most investment. He invested in every single soil. So my plea for you today is simple. Do the same thing. Aim for more than just the good soil. Just like God used my lost wallet to find those keys, He wants to make beautiful things out of your dustiest dust. He longs to make good soil out of your soil. Amen. Amen. thanks so much for listening. I hope you were blessed by this sermon. Next week, we'll continue our journey through Game Changers. So bring a friend, listen, have a conversation, and remember, you're in our prayers.